Good evening. How are we doing tonight? Good. Awesome. Well, let's go ahead and get started with prayers we normally do. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good and gracious God, we give you praise and thanksgiving for this evening, for this opportunity to come together to continue to grow in our faith, to grow in our understanding of your love, to grow in our understanding of the different times and seasons of our lives, especially for those that you have put in place for us as opportunities to continue to see different sides of ourselves, of the world, and of our relationship with you. We pray that you may bless our time together, that you may also bless our catechists and all of our students this evening, that we may always do everything for your greater will and for your greater goal and for your greater glory. We ask all these things through your Son's name as we pray together in the words that our Savior gave us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, the last few weeks we've been talking um, about the uh, theological virtue of love, and somebody actually did something that I asked this week. So give me just a second. I had somebody um, send me an email with a topic that they wanted me to bring up. So I just have to... So if, if I could talk about um, things like how to prevent um, from the Catholic um, bent of how do we help people to be prevented from falling into addictions um, because people don't really talk about the fact that addictions happen. Uh, many times addictions in life, whether it be drug, alcohol, sex, pornography, gambling, um, video games, whatever the addiction ends up being, it starts with the personality, and then it delves into the particular. In my experience, because I am an eccentric person, I jump from one addiction to the other, positive and sometimes negative. I get very obsessed and singularly focused on one thing that is different than having an addiction. For instance, my eccentricities many times, I get tunnel vision. I'm so focused on one thing that I can't see everything that's going on. But as soon as my tunnel vision breaks, I can never get back to where I was. For instance, my first year as a priest, I got a Fitbit. And I had a priest as my pastor that was very competitive. If you've met me, you know I have a very, 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 very competitive nature. And so we had a weekly Fitbit competition and a yearly goal of hitting 10,000 steps a day for the whole year. 119 days in a row, I hit over 10,000 steps. Lost 35 pounds. I was doing well. Twisted my ankle. Since then, it has now been seven years. I have not had more than 10 days in a row, no matter how hard I try, to get back to that addiction of that tunnel vision of getting the 10,000 steps a day. Now, I say that to say that there's some people that have in their personality something that can lead them towards addictions. Pre-seminary, sometimes those addictions weren't always positive. I had a gambling problem in, uh, when I worked in Duncan prior to seminary. There was, a, there was a casino there, and I couldn't not go. I don't know what it was, but every time I drove by, it's like, ooh, I won money here that one time months ago. I'm going to win again one of these times until I realized I have no money. Stop doing this, dummy. That's different than having an addictive behavior. Most addictions at the heart of them is an internal longing for an external validation in our lives. Most people, when, when they fall into addiction, they're either trying to be validated by their family, by their friend group, by society, at their job. For instance, peer pressure is a big um, kind of conduit, an initiator for young people falling, 
falling into addiction. Oh, you know you're not cool unless you've smoked a cigar, or nowadays it's a cigarette, or vaping, or smoking weed, or having a drink of alcohol. How many people before the age of 18 fell into any of those? Praise God, I waited until after 18 for any of those. But most people fall into those addictions because they want to feel like they belong, or the addictive part, they want to feel like they have value. Most things that we have addictions to that are prolonged addictions, we get that momentary release of dopamine in our minds and in our brains. That every time that we do it next, you have to do a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. And we have that momentary moment of peace, that instant gratification that we can't seem to find in any other way. Ultimately, though, what we're longing for when we fall into any of those addictive mentalities, whether it be, again, gambling, sex, pornography, um, uh, alcohol, drugs, um, video games, whatever it is, we're looking to feel like we belong. And the only place we can truly, authentically get that, guess what Father is going to say, is from the Lord. That ultimately, it's an inner desire, an inner longing that we all have to be fulfilled. And the only place we can truly find that ultimate fulfillment that will last forever is in God. But when we can't see it in the ways that we think we want it, we find instant gratification in the places and in the people and in the times that we can get it. It's just like as a kid, I got in trouble all the time. A lot of it was because I, didn't, I couldn't find my place in my family. I went from being the baby to the middle child to, in my mind, the forgotten child. Because I went from being number two of two to two of three to two of four to two of five, and nobody cares about two of five. I'm not the oldest. I'm not the youngest. I'm not the middle. I'm the other. And so as the other, it's hard to get attention because the baby, he gets all the attention because he's the baby. The older one, he gets all of the validation because he's the one leading the pack and they don't have to worry about him. The middle child gets all the attention because she was just the princess of the family, but the forgotten child, the only way I could get any attention was to misbehave. And so I would do some of the most off-the-wall things because any attention is better than no attention, right? Or at least that's what we hear a lot. That's what we think a lot in our lives. And so for me... I got into trouble a lot. I didn't, it's like, what am I doing? Why am I getting in trouble? I don't know why. In fact, that was one of the most com uh, frequent conversations with my dad, because my dad was a counselor, and my dad, and then became a deacon afterwards. Like, oh my gosh, dad, keep one hat on. Stop trying to put different hats on. You're not my counselor. You're my dad. But he would say, Danny, why do you keep doing these things? And I'd say, I don't know. Well, figure it out. It's like, I don't know why I do these things. And that's part of the struggle sometimes when it comes to addictions, we don't intellectually process why we do what we do. Many times when we fall into an addiction or we fall into a certain path or fall in with a certain group of friends, we haven't thought about the why. I, as an extrovert who's always curious, was taught at a very young age specifically to stop asking that very question. I would always have my hand up. I've got a question. I don't care about your question. I can't intellectually move on, though, until I figure out A, A prime, and B. I can't make it to part two. I realize I'm not supposed to use A's and B's and numbers at the same time, but that's what's part of my struggle. I couldn't move on until I got this part answered. And so I always have questions. So much so that I got detention in third, fourth, and fifth grade almost every single day at lunch because I asked questions. That we are taught from a young age, don't ask why. And then we wonder why, as adults, people do some really dumb things. It's because they don't feel safe asking that question why because we don't have the time to focus on you. So then we learn as children, if you don't have time to focus on me, I'm going to make you make time to focus on me. That's many times when we act out. Or when we do the exact opposite, we either act out 
and extremes on one side or on the other, we become very secluded. We become very quiet. We just sit down, figure it out ourselves, or you become like the raging extrovert that Father Danny is, and you continue to act out, act out, act out, and not know the answer to the why. So the more we begin to learn about ourselves and ask ourselves the question of, why have I fallen to this, or why is this my thing that I go to, we eventually get to the deeper question. And the deeper question is, what is it ultimately that you're longing for? And everybody ultimately that I've met so far, and that I've read about so far, has the same answer. I want to feel like I belong. I want to feel like I matter. Does that sound fair? Everybody kind of has that inner longing and desire. And if I don't, I'm either going to act out so that I do fit in, or I'm going to distract myself. This is where my addiction to video games came in, which nowadays you can get scholarships for. I grew up in the wrong generation. I don't understand it. It's not fair. I failed out of college because of video games. They're going to college to play video games. What is wrong with our world? So jealous. But I spent so much time playing video games as an escape because I couldn't look at who I was. I couldn't see who I was as being good enough, smart enough. You guys remember, what was his name? Richard Simmons. Wasn't that the guy's name? The short shorts, the exercise. You're good enough, you're smart enough, and gosh darn it, people like you. I looked at the guy and said, you're wacko. And then I saw movies like the movie The Help. And Octavia Spencer's character in that movie, you is good, you is smart, you is beautiful, you is kind. Grammatically, she was wrong. (laughs) But she was trying to teach that young child a lesson. A lesson that I learned in my mid to late 20s. Our internal dialogue is important. But most times we don't think about what happens in here because we're only checked externally about what comes out of here. Don't say that. It's okay to think it. Well, what did Christ say in last weekend's gospel? If you sin in your mind, you are sinning with your heart. Oh, crap. What things have we thought about negatively that we may not have acted on? Are we intentional about those thinkings? Or is it a passing thought? It's a passing thought. That's Satan trying to push buttons and ignore him. But if we many times meditate upon those negative things, that's how things like what happened at Michigan State happen. We still don't know what the reason for that mass shooting was yesterday or any of the other mass shootings that have happened since Columbine. Our kids have never even heard of Columbine. Whereas for me, that was a transformative experience because that was like the first time that it was, as a teen, wait, what? School isn't safe? Because it was all over the news. And so we had people on either end of the spectrum with that. Just like we have people on either end of the spectrum with everything. And when we get bullied sometimes, we have irrational responses. We begin to self-identify with that negative self-talk that other, or that negative external talk that others have for us. We begin to self-identify that way. For me, it happened in fourth and fifth grade. You may think, really, Father? Fourth and fifth grade? How old were you? Like nine? Uh Uh-huh. Took me to my mid-twenties to begin to process that my whole self-image, my negative self-image, started at the age of nine. I had, which I've learned recently, is a common thing for people with ADHD. I had a bedwetting problem through about fourth or fifth grade. It's a very common thing for ADHD. It's like, ha, see, wasn't my fault. It's all ADHD's fault. Winner. But as a kid, I went to a Boy Scout retreat or a Boy Scout camp out, and I wet the bed. Wouldn't be a bad thing, except somebody noticed. So my nickname for the next year and a half was Peabody. And I internalized all those negative words and all that negative oomph that they put upon me and said, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. Gosh darn it, 
nobody could ever like me, let alone love me. And so, as a depressed kid, I didn't understand that it's a natural problem. People struggle with that all the time. I interiorized, I will never feel welcome because my friends at that time, my best friends at that time, were the ones that started the nickname. And I loved on Friday nights, we'd always go to the skating rink. They had lock-ins, the skating rinks, when I was in North Dakota, which was fun until the nickname came out. You ever played indoor soccer? You know those felt soccer balls? Fun to kick, horrible to be hit with, because it's like road rash everywhere, or carpet rash. I can remember very vividly two or three of those lock-ins being in the corner, being just pelted with those soccer balls. Peabody, Peabody, Peabody. Those people that I identified as my friends had become my enemies, and I didn't know what I had done wrong. I couldn't find peace. I couldn't find that belonging that we all search for. And so I thought, well, what's the point of life if they don't think I matter and all my family does is yell at me because I keep getting in trouble? What's the point of life? And so as I've talked about before, I started cutting. I still have some of the scars on my wrist. Because I had intellectually thought, there is no point in living if I don't belong. And I had made a plan even to just one day when everyone was gone, just cut my wrist and let it go. Praise God, I didn't. And it took a literal act and miracle of God for me to recognize that I do belong, that I do matter. That's why I'm up here today as a priest. Because I know that each and every one of you at some point in your life, if not right now, have struggled with that same issue. And so back to that question of how do we talk about addiction? How do we talk about these different things? There's a reason I talk so much about the theological virtue of love. (laughs) Because at the heart of love is the fact that you matter not because of what you do, but because of whose you are. There's a reason I preach so often about that is because I don't want any of our parishioners, young, old, in between, to ever feel that they are undeserving of God's love. That they will ever feel that they are unloved by me, by you guys. Because I've seen what path that can go down on the extreme. But there are other paths that can go down as well. That's where the addictions many times come in. That's where many times we just can't quite understand that God truly loves us. But for some reason, intellectually, for many of us, that's not enough. So we've got to get it out of the intellectual into the reality and into the spiritual of, yeah, God loves me. But that's step one. Because if I just look in the mirror and say, God can love you, that's good. That's a good place to start. But then I have to look out and say, God loves you, and you, and you, and you, and you. I don't like you, and you, and you, and you, and you, but God loves you, so how do I develop a love for you? It's ultimately by developing a love for myself. Does that make sense? And so when we look at any forms of addiction, couple things go into it. One, a recognition that we are all longing for the same thing. That some people go about it in the wrong way. Some people go about it in cutting, trying to feel something. Some people go about it in falling into an addiction, trying to feel something, yet again. Some people go into the self-loathing. Or, if I can't feel anything, I'm going to make sure that you know that I exist. That's where a lot of those unthinkable mass attacks have come from. That's part of it. One other part that's very important in addiction therapy is also very important in sin therapy. What is step one of every addiction program you've ever heard of? 
Hi, my name is so-and-so. I am a such-and-such. Why? Words have power. We were lied to as children. How many of you heard this exact phrase growing up? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Heard that before? Lies. Words will cut deeper than sticks and stones ever will. And they stay with you for even longer. And they go even deeper. Words are important. Words have power. That's why in the sacrament of reconciliation, we have to say what our sins are. Because if we can't say it out loud and admit it to ourselves and to God, we aren't going to change out of it. Just like in those 10 and 12-step programs, hi, my name is Danny, I'm an alcoholic, I'm a sex addict, I'm a whatever it is. Until you can say it out loud, it has control over you. The same way that your sins do. That's why I talk so much about the sacrament of reconciliation. Because reconciliation and the love of God go hand in hand. I can say it not just as a priest who is on the other side, but as a penitent who goes pretty doggone frequently. Because I have identified myself for too long by my sins. And I believe the lie that no one could ever love me if they truly knew what I thought and what I did. It's a lie. But do you see how the two kind of go hand in hand? When we talk about addiction, and we talk about spirituality, there's a reason, again, that most 10 and 12-step programs, one of the first 10 steps as well is believing that a higher power has the ability to help you through this. Bizarre concept. Theological, Christian in nature. Not always in those programs can you talk about God. Here we can. And so when we talk about how to help people through whatever addictions they're going through or to avoid them, we have to first ask the question of why is this where you've gone? Why do you feel like that drink of alcohol is going to give you something. Are you using it as an escape? And again, this isn't for anybody and everybody to go through. We are not all trained psychologists. I'm not a psychiatrist. I'm not a psychologist. I'm the son of a psychiatrist. (laughs) So I heard a lot about it. As a priest, we have a lot of classes on it. I am not a therapist. So people will come to me sometimes with issues. I will talk with them once or twice, and then I will refer them because I want to make sure that people get the help that they need. When they come to me, Just like you do in the confessional, I want to let you know that God loves you. And if there's nothing that is more powerful than the love and the power of God. Any questions about that? Did that help a little bit? Have you guys ever thought about that? It's like, why is Father talking about addiction? (laughs) Because I think it's something that we all kind of struggle with. We all have our own addictions. How many times do you pick this thing up a day? This is an addiction. It's an escape for most of us. It really is. But then in the midst of an addiction, we have an addiction, an addiction, an addiction. I have an OCD of my addiction, of my phone. I can't have notifications. Anybody else have that OCD? Oh, it's the worst in the world. I will open my phone. It's like, oh, that little red bubble with a number in it. I can't do it. That's why sometimes I don't respond to your emails, not because I don't love you, but because I had to get through them and I forget to go back. It's part of the ADHD, out of sight, out of mind. If it's not right in front of me, that tunnel vision, I forget. I love you. I forget. I'm sorry. It happens. Yeah. Seriously, if, if I haven't responded to an email that you've sent in like a week, it means that I have cleared the notification and I totally forgot about it. That's one of the things I've actually found out there's a lot of like quick 30 to 60 second clips of this young guy that's got ADHD that explains ADHD in ways where it's like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize I did that. That makes so much sense. One of them that I've realized in the last two weeks is called out of sight, out of mind. You hear that. You've heard out of sight, out of mind. For people like me that have ADHD, it's a real thing. 
because we are so tunnel focused on what's in front of us, if it's not right in front of me, I'm going to forget it. Not that I don't care, but I have to focus on this because if I don't focus on this, I can't focus on anything and then nothing is getting done. And so many times I will have like a distant thing in the future that I'll be focusing on. Normally it's a retreat that's coming up, a trip I'm going to take. Right now it's Friday and the shrine. That's been what's been on my focus this week. So I've forgotten about a couple other things, but that's my focus. I don't have to do anything to show up. But then after that, what's on, my, what's on my mind? Wednesday, next week, it's on my mind. Ash Wednesday, 12.10, 5 o'clock, 7 o'clock. That's what, that's what I'm focusing on. But then I've also got to remember, okay, I've got a meeting with so-and-so on this day, a meeting with so-and-so on this day. It's on my calendar. The calendar does me no good if I don't look at it, though. But that, again, is part of the struggle of the out-of-sight, out-of-mind mentality. I forget to check my calendar because I'm too busy clearing out my notifications. <laughs> my calendar, so I've set up my calendar then 30 minutes before anything that's on my calendar, I get a notification. It's like, ha-ha, I have to look at it. Because if not, I'm going to go bat crap crazy. <laughs> and so knowing those things about yourself and learning to not allow those eccentricities to run your life and to have control over you, but learning to control them is how we can continue to grow out of addiction, A, but also into our Catholicism and into our life of faith. So what happens next Wednesday, Ash Wednesday? We receive these ashes, and it's become a very big thing in a lot of the non-Catholic Christian churches too, so much so that there are two um, non-Catholic Christian churches in in Oklahoma City that have drive-by ashes. It's like, what? Like literally you drive up to a drive-thru window and you get ashes. It's like, missing the point here, but okay. But it's about looking cool. So much so that for the younger generations, they don't have hashtags on Ash Wednesday. They have ash tags. Have you seen it? I guarantee you, you look on social media next Wednesday, starting at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, if you have a friend that's Catholic that's under the age of 35, you will at least see one time Someone with the ashes on their forehead, hashtag, not hashtag, hashtag. There's a certain priest that you guys know that does it every year. I love Father Kelly, but come on, man, every year. Because it's part of being part of the culture. Have you seen it? He does it every single year. But that's part of the, getting, getting a selfie with your ashes is like getting a selfie with your I voted sticker. Ha! I showed up! Okay, what are you going to do about it? What do the ashes mean to you besides, ha look at me, I went to Mass today. Good! Did you hear what the priest or the minister said to you when you got your ashes? Uh, nope. Well, what does the priest say? No, that's at the funeral. <laughs> ashes to ashes, dust to dust, that's the funeral. Remember that you are dust... And to dust you shall return. Super morbid, right? But also a great reminder, having gone to eight years of Benedictine cemetery, cemetery, seminary, I like a cemetery sometimes, eight years of Benedictine seminary, to live always with death before your eyes. That Lent is an opportunity to die to ourselves so that we can rise with Christ. That that 40 days, 47 days, 40 days of Lent is an opportunity not to just give up sweets, not to just give up caffeine, not to just give up things, but to truly work on those things in our lives that keep us from being a good, faithful Catholic, a good, faithful person. That if we are Christians, as we profess by our baptisms, by our creed, by our confirmation— How do we live that out? Well, sometimes we prioritize things wrong. What does Christ say when he takes all of the law and all the prophets and puts it into two commandments? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your being. Second, love your neighbor as yourself. 
Does anybody in here actually follow that command? I struggle. Um, Even as a priest, I struggle to put God first most days, if not every day. Even though I celebrate Mass, I do the liturgy of the hours, I pray for you, I hear your confessions, I go to confessions, I struggle to put God first. It's hard. So one of the things that Lent can do is help us to move him up that ladder of what's important. Where is he right now in your importance ladder? Take this next week and think about that. See where he is on your priorities. And we're like, he's in the top 200. (laughs) So how do you make him in the top 180 this year? And the next year, top 170. And then 160. And then 150. 20 years down the road, how do you make him the top 10? But a life of faith isn't all about being perfect or being horrible. Many times in life, we are all or nothing people. When it comes to being a person of faith, it's about two steps forward, 1.9999999999999999 steps back. Because you know what that means? You went forward. 0.000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000000
And so sometimes that falls on a Friday too. Typically, actually, when one falls on, they both do. I was like, oh man, two Fridays, I can have meat? Winner. And why can we eat meat those days? Because liturgically, it is a day of feasting. That's what our feasts are. It's a day to celebrate the bridegroom. But those other days are opportunities for us to fast, which is one of the three things that we're called to do. To fast, of course the words are not coming to me right now. What are the three things? It's uh, fast, give alms, prayer. <laughs> prayer, fast, give alms. Sometimes, this is where my ADHD comes. It's like, uh, I forgot. Yeah, praying, fasting, and, and almsgiving are really the three big hinges of Lent. On Fridays during Lent, we're not supposed to eat meat. Did you know, pre-Vatican II, every Friday throughout the year, you weren't supposed to eat meat? Did you know that we're still not supposed to on Fridays? There's never really a dispensation given. Technically, every Friday, we're not supposed to eat meat. Uh, Father, I mean, that's when everybody, like all the steakhouses have their discounts that day. I mean, come on. I mean, th th that's date night with my wife. Get off cheaper. You're fine. Say Father's fault. Go to Salmon instead. <laughs> Go to... Uh, Simon's Catch, although that's more expensive than Fred, so never mind. <laughs> but technically on Fridays, it's a day of fasting. It's a day of penance. And if you don't give up meat on Fridays, you're supposed to do another penitential action. Oh no, Father's asking us to do too much again. I'm done. Well, I'm not asking you to do anything. So the church has continually given us an opportunity to grow in our faith, to recognize what we need and to recognize what we don't need. So fasting is one of those things. In fact, there are two days where we are supposed to, uh, to have a strict fast. If you are under the age of this, uh, over the age of that, and health-wise can do it. Do you know what two days during Lent those are? Ash Wednesday, Good Friday. So next Wednesday, we are told to have a total fast, which means... This is where our kid brains work into hyperactive and like one Cheerio makes the difference between whether I fasted or not. One full-size meal and two meals that don't equal the one-size meal. Which means if I have a full pizza for one meal and only three pieces for breakfast and three pieces for dinner, technically I fasted, right? Okay, yes, letter of the law, you did. Spirit of the law, really? You have to eat one and three-quarter pizzas? Come on. Better than cheese pizza. That it's an opportunity for us to recognize that we don't always need what we have. Growing up in our household, we, it, every Friday during Lent, every Ash Wednesday, was always the same meal. Tomato soup, grilled cheese. I don't like soup. I got two grilled cheese. It's like, yeah, work the system. <laughs> or red beans and rice. I love me some kidney beans. Woo! Put, if you put enough salt on them, you can't even taste the fact that they're beans and rice. Flavor, the leaven of life. But Ash Wednesday, Good Friday, are those two days where we're meant to keep that solemn fast. Did you know there was one day during Lent we are forbidden from celebrating Mass? It's the only day a year that we are forbidden from celebrating Mass, Good Friday. We have a Good Friday service, communion service, that day. And I learned a couple years ago, one of the things that is liturgically said a lot is to say the black and do the red because the red in the missal is what we're supposed to do, and the black is what we're supposed to say. I hadn't read the rubrics properly my first year as a priest, as a, as a pastor. Good Friday is the, also the only day 
where you cannot have a communion service in absence of a priest. It's like, oh, well, it's not mass, so you'd think that would work, right? Well, why not? I don't have an answer. It says no. I learned that the hard way when I had a mission that was more active than the parish was in my last assignment. And so I had the new deacon do a uh, Good Friday service at the mission. Yeah, definitely got my, my hand slapped on that one. It's like, I'm sorry, I didn't know. So you learn as you, as you go, and, and you, you adapt for the next year. So the mission then got mad at me the next year when we didn't have it. Well, we got to have it last year, Father. We've always done this. First of all, you can't use the always when we've done it once. <laughs> Second of all, I was wrong. Well, if you were wrong last year and nothing happened, why can't you be wrong this year? No, because then it does become we always do it, and it's all Father Danny's fault that we do it wrong. No. <laughs> so I learn, and we move on, and we grow through it. And so we have then that opportunity to fast. But then on top of Ash Wednesday, Good Friday, and the Fridays during Lent, what other things can we fast from? Some people do a media fast. There's some people that go off of social media completely for Lent. See you on Easter Sunday. And some of them make it all the way through. Because again, growing up for me, my dad was an all-or-nothing person. Um, And he is a convert. And so he didn't learn that there are days during Lent that you aren't supposed to fast. And so I was always told my friends could always have everything they gave up on Lent on Sundays, but we didn't. We never got to have our chocolate. Mom, I swear she had the most twisted sense of humor ever. Every single year growing up, she would always make us giant Hershey's Kisses. Not giant, giant Hershey's Kisses. Like a half pound of Hershey Kiss on Valentine's Day. And normally within seven days, you celebrate Ash Wednesday, and we all had to give up sweets for Lent. So one of two things happen. You learn a lesson before, or you learn a lesson after. My parents were geniuses. We just didn't catch on. You either eat too much chocolate and realize you're going to have a stomachache. It's your fault. You should have learned to spread it out. Or you have just a little bit of chocolate. You put it in the freezer... And by the time Easter happens, it's freezer burning and you can't have it in the first place. You really didn't need it. My parents were devilish. Genius. Genius. I never caught on. So when I called my mom yesterday, I was like, happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day, Danny. Did you make us Hershey Kisses this year? No. That's fine. (laughs) So fasting is one of those things that we can do. But fasting isn't just giving things up. Many times when we talk about Lent specifically with our non-Catholic Christian brothers and sisters, they say, what are you giving up for Lent? One of the ways to fast is to substitute. So what are you substituting for your everyday routine during Lent versus giving up? Because nobody likes to give up. Because to give up, we hear diet. What are you dieting from at Lent? You know, diet has a a very negative connotation to it. In fact, the word die is in it. What are you going to die to during this time? (laughs) Talking to you. Leave me alone. No, but what is it? And that's when we look at Lent, what are you willing to die to so that you can use as an opportunity to truly rise with Christ, to move him up that priority ladder? So what are those things that we may spend too much on? Maybe we spend too much on... Getting drinks at Sonic, I'm guilty. My, my, my Route 44 diet, Dr. Pepper, the vanilla, every day if I can. Every day. Once if not twice. Some people are addicted to coffee. With this, I put a caution. If you are addicted to coffee, don't give it up for Lent. Your Lenten penance is for you, not for everyone around you. Because if you know someone that's addicted to caffeine and you take it away from them, They say going cold turkey on caffeine is worse than going cold turkey on every drug there is. I believe it. The couple times I've tried to give up caffeine, you didn't want to be around me. So much so that I got these just raging headaches. You have to wean yourself off it. And so instead of drinking soda, I took Excedrin because it still has two cups of coffee worth of (laughs) caffeine in it. Kind of defeats the purpose. But what is it that is holding you back from giving more to God this year? 
And how can you do a little bit more? So instead of fasting or giving something up for Lent, what can you substitute this year for Lent? Instead of having whatever you do in the morning, change your routine a little bit. Maybe add a little bit of prayer. Or instead of like, if you get home and the first thing you do, like people get on to me, people got on me in seminary, it's like as soon as I got home, I would literally walk in my door, undress in sweats, like in five seconds. The servers still don't know how I can get dressed with 45 seconds before Mass. It's like, you, you practice it. <laughs> practice makes perfect. They're like, Father, Mass is in 45 seconds. Eh, I got 15 seconds before I got to get ready. It's like, what? It's like, yeah, alb, zip, stole, chasuble, mic, and I can do that as I'm walking in. We're good. Yeah, that's one way to do it. Or I could be intentional about why I'm doing what I'm doing, how I'm doing it, add the prayers in, do those different things. And that's one of the things that Lent gives us the opportunity to do, is to be more intentional about the why and about the what. So what is it that maybe getting in to interfering with you having a productive Lent that you may be able to let go of some of this year? If it's sweets, okay. If it's not, don't give up sweets. But at the same time, Lent is meant as a step, not as an end-all, be-all. How many times do you have people that give up alcohol, sugar, coffee, caffeine for Lent, and Easter Sunday, they gorge on it? Defeats the purpose. Yes, you're learning how to fast, but if you fast and then you gorge, it defeats a lot of the gains. Just like if you go on a diet and you have your cheat day, and you eat 15 times more calories on your cheat day than you did on the seven days that you didn't cheat, why did I gain five pounds? Because you did it wrong. It's the same way spiritually, there are ways to do Lent properly and there are ways to do Lent wrong. So fasting, prayer. What is prayer? We've talked about it before. It's a conversation with God. Oh, but Father, I don't have time to pray throughout my day. I don't think you guys are all ADHD. But one of the struggles that we have is that we have a continual track going on in our heads. Like, when I'm saying something out loud, I'm thinking about my next five sentences at the same time. You think I'm making this up, but as I'm saying this out loud, I've already thought about what I'm about to say five minutes ago. That's part of the struggles that I have to focus. There are times during Mass where I will be going through the motions of saying what needs to be said and doing what needs to be done, but I am intellectually in a completely different place. And so I've got to try and refocus, 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 pay attention, pay attention, tunnel vision, tunnel vision. And that that's what prayer can be for us. It's an opportunity to bring us back. And it doesn't have to be a, I have to sit in this perfect place and set these things perfectly aside. If that's what you want to do, go for it. My challenge would be, if there is not a place or space currently in your house to pray, make one. If you don't have a family Bible, buy one. Take a Bible, put property of family, fike, cowan, splawn, whatever, put it in your prayer space. Open it up to a random page, Scriptures are opened in the house. And then look at it. Put a crucifix there. Maybe have some holy water. Pray a rosary. Have a place or space that you can use as your prayer place. But that you don't have to go to. But you have the ability to go to anytime you need to. So don't have it in the middle of the kitchen. Because just like anything else, nothing gets done in the kitchen except for cooking. Sometimes. Normally, it's yelling at the kids to leave me alone and go bug your dad or go bug your mom, whoever's not cooking, because I'm cooking or cleaning or whatever it is. But find a place where you can have that conversation with God. For me, I turn the radio off a lot during Lent. Now, I like to listen to audiobooks because I'm driving a lot, but sometimes I'll even turn those off and just drive in silence. I was walking through the parking lot. Um, last night after the Mass in Spanish, and I looked up and it's like, man, I wish I had a telescope. Just looking up and I don't know which two planets they are. I'm assuming it's Venus and Jupiter. Super bright last night. 
Like I looked up and it's like, we have no light pollution here. Man, look at the glory of God, just that we don't even look at. Being out here in the middle of nowhere, western Oklahoma, I take for granted that I can look up and just see the heavens in front of me. I grew up in the city. You look up and it's like, there's the moon, I think. Here, you can see nebulas. You can see the Milky Way. You can see that. But how many times do we take a stop to look and see what's right in front of us that is the glory of God? Maybe use this as an opportunity to stop and look and give thanks and to pray. To have sometimes that outside noise cut off so we can have that internal dialogue with ourselves but also invite God into that. So prayer and fasting. Almsgiving. The thing that Father hates to talk about and you hate to hear about. Give more. That's it. No. <laughs> Almsgiving doesn't specifically have to be financial. It's the three T's. Treasure, talent, time. Thank you. My brain is not working. Time, talent, and treasure. Prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. Time, talent, and treasure. Maybe God is calling you to be more active at your kid's school. Maybe God's calling you to be more active at the parish or in a community function or in your family. How can you donate more of your time to something that is a worthy cause? So that's the, the time part. What talents do you have? Oh, Father, I have no talents whatsoever. Bull crap. God has blessed you specifically with talents. How can you offer them for others? I'm allowing Deacon Bill and Maggie, in fact, for Lent, to lend some of their talents in a new way. So throughout Lent, the adult classes will be taught by Deacon Bill and Maggie so that you don't have to look at me twice a week. You're welcome. That's what I'm fasting from this year. You guys having to see me. You're going to love it. I think you will. I think it'll be awesome. But they're going to use their talents from the experience that they've gotten to go deeper into some of these subjects and topics as well. But what talent do you have? Do you have a voice? We are always looking for more members of the choir. There's only so many times we can have five women singing and making harmony. You need not just soprano and alto, you need tenor and bass too. Gentlemen, I'm talking to you. But also women, if you've got those lower voices... Or if you have those higher voices, whatever voice gave, God gave to you, give it back. Oh, Father, God did not allow me to sing properly. He gave you a voice and he said, make a joyful noise. If he doesn't like it, give it back to him. If he doesn't like it, he'll change it. So maybe God has called you to sing. Maybe you're good with languages, whether it be Spanish, Vietnamese, English, my grammar is horrible. I feel so bad for English teachers. Like, I feel like anytime they hear me preach, they're reading a letter from St. Paul. Have you ever looked at his punctuation? Most of our letters from St. Paul are one sentence. Father, that was seven minutes long. One sentence! Because if you put enough commas and colons and semicolons in there, one sentence. Well, maybe you can then help edit Father's homily or help edit some of the things we do in the bulletin. Or maybe if you want to write something for the bulletin or have a program during the Lenten season or you have something going on and you want to give back in a certain way, use those talents. Can you play an instrument? Most people don't know that I am actually musically very savvy. I can play trumpet. I can play the drum set. I just don't like to because it takes practice. If I'm going to practice something, it's something I want to do. Drums, I love to play. They would echo so bad in here. You'd be like, oh my gosh, Father, it's so loud! I know, but it's awesome. <coughs> no, we're not having drums, don't worry. But do you have possibly a skill like that that you can add? Or maybe you can look at your finance and say, what can we give differently? One of the things we're giving to the kids tonight are the um, Operation Rice Bowl bowls. Growing up, we always put them on the center of our kitchen table. And that's actually when we actually used to eat dinner at the kitchen table every night. Now, my parents changed that about 15 years ago because the younger two, they're like, hey, we got the older three out. We don't care anymore. Do whatever you want. But they used to always have the rice bowls on the kitchen table. And every night, 
We'd empty our pockets, whatever change or dollar bills were floating around, unless there were 20s or 50s, which I never had anyways, <laughs> we'd put them in the rice bowls. And then at the end of Lent, you bring them back. And then we make that as a donation to Operation Rice Bowl. So that's one of the things that we as a parish participate in every year. I found out today, two were returned last year. End of Lent. I'll make sure, remind me on Sunday, because again, out of sight, out of mind, I'm going to forget about it after this conversation. Remind me this weekend to bring it up. Or talk to Amy to put it on the announcements to remind me to bring it up. Yeah, typically it's the end of Lent. So if you, if you can tell Amy, there's a reason I always look at that piece of paper when I'm doing the announcements. If it's not on there and you told me something before Mass to announce, I'm going to forget it. Not because I don't care, not because I don't love you, because it's out of sight, out of mind, and I've already moved on to, is Deacon going to say the right dismissal today? That was fantastic. It was perfect. Because I've been there, done that, and it's like, go in peace to do something. I, I forget. Because sometimes our brains are out there, and it happens. But what's even funnier, the last assignment I was at, that's how the deacon would always end. Go in peace. But he would end it like with the inflection that he was going to say to love and serve the Lord or to say something else like, go in peace. Thanks be to God. I mean, actually, I don't have a question mark. So, so I, I, I appreciated that on Sunday because it brought me back to when I had Deacon Thibodeau. Um, when I was in church, I was like, oh, I miss him. I, gotta, I need to give him a call. Outside of mind. But maybe God is calling your kids or you to make a bigger donation financially this year to a program in the city, to a program at your school, to a program at the parish. Um, yes, we do have the ACA going on, so they plan it perfectly. Hey, Lent starts. Give more money, ACA. Oh, yeah, there's that too. Um, but it may be a, if you've never been to the fish fry, come to a fish fry. That could be both your time of helping to volunteer it can be your talent on, maybe you're really good at bussing tables. I love bussing tables, and that sounds really weird. That was one of my favorite parts of being a waiter. It wasn't talking to people or giving them food. It was two things. One, taking their food away, which means they're leaving, and secondly, getting a good tip. That's what I liked about being a waiter, was bussing your tables and getting your money. Now I become a priest, and I say, you go bus tables and give us your money. No. <laughs> but we have that as a great fundraiser for our kids here um, that people in the community come and do. So that may be something that God is calling you to give your time, your talent, or your treasure to. $15, you're not going to find a cheaper, all-you-can-eat fish meal anywhere for $15. Um, and the kids serve it, and it's great. If you have any kids in 6th through 12th grade, we need them to be here to volunteer on Fridays. So you get to help volunteer your kids' times and talents and treasures. And then following the um, Lenten meals that we have every Friday, the fish fries, we have the opportunity to engage and enter into the way of the cross. Station of the cross will be every, every Friday after fish fry where we go and we walk the station of the cross. And Deacon volunteered tonight to do that, so I'm glad that he's sharing his time and talent so I can go take my nap. Now, um, but, but, but it gives us more opportunities to participate. So if you've never done the station of the cross, maybe it's an opportunity to come and say, how can I volunteer? Um, we always need more kids to be servers. We typically have someone as a crucifer holding the cross and then two lucifers, not saints, but light bearers. Um, so, so a cross bearer and two candle bearers that just walk station to station. So if your kids have never served before, then maybe a time for them to start in doing it because all they have to do is literally... I mean, I know sometimes we can't walk and talk out loud or chew gum at the same time, but I mean... We can start somewhere. Any questions about time, talent, treasure, prayer, fasting, almsgiving? Let us pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good and gracious God, we give you thanksgiving and praise for this evening. This opportunity to talk about many things that can help us to elevate our Lenten experience and our Lenten season. Pray that you may watch over our parishioners as they leave from here. That you may help them to pray and to reflect on how they can make this a more efficacious time. We ask all these things um, through the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary, but also through the intercession of Blessed Stanley Rother, um, whose basilica, basilica, whose shrine will be dedicated um, this Friday in Oklahoma City. And so we pray through Mary's intercession for all of these many blessings and for all of these many things as we say, Hail Mary. 
full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go in peace. See you guys. <laughs>